0: You're about to enjoy a bonus clip from the Stories from Retirement podcast, and you're in for a real treat with this segment, as we're about to get into the backstory and career of George from episode number two. Like many first-generation immigrants into this country, George has an incredible life story to share. It's really an exceptional story of bravery, determination, and accomplishment. If you have any comments, please share them with me at storiesfromretirement@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Here's my discussion with George. I thought what we'd start with is you've got a really unique background. Um, uh, it'd be great to just get a you know an overview of, of your life and your family and um, how you've gotten here.
1: Well, thank you, Drew. Um, thank you very much for asking me to do this. I much appreciate it. Um, I'm sure that this is gonna be fun for me as well, not just for you. And uh, you're right, we've been friends a very, very long time. And I really appreciate our friendship. But to start answering your question, um, yes, uh, you know, we all have unique backgrounds. Um, Mine is, uh, of course, unique and different. I was born and raised in Yugoslavia. And when when I was born, uh, Yugoslavia was a country. Obviously, there's no such a thing anymore, no such country anymore. Um, I was born into a country that was a communist country at the time. And I was raised uh, in the communist country. My views of the world were based on everything I knew, which was communist country. But I also, part of my, uh, growing up, I was part of the family as well. And friends. And and I, I found out during my early age that there is a, this thing called public life or public view of the world and then there's a private world and in a communist country they are different hmm. what you talked in public and how people behave in public and how friends of the friends behave in public was totally different than how they behaved when uh, you were just in private and my parents as well and you think that's was dramatically baptized.
0: different than um here in the states
1: because there's some uh, of that too right so, some of that too, politically, and more and more late lately than it was in right. in my in a former time, but it is drastically different. Uh, your life depends on it in communist mm-hmm. country. Your life doesn't depend on it here. Your right. livelihood doesn't really. You know, you can have an opinion. We we live in the best place in the world, bar none. I I always say the luckiest <clears throat> people in the world were people that were born in this country, meaning United States. And the second luckiest people in the world are people like me that someone brought them into this country when they were young. So, you know, we're extremely lucky. So, you know, as I was raising up, I did uh, have, an, uh, being raised, I was had an ability to see my parents. And, and I was baptized. And I remember, um, you know, and my mom talking about it. And, and uh, she's the only one that went to church. My dad couldn't go to church because if he did, he would lose his job. And that once you lose your job, wow. right. you have nothing, absolutely nothing. A government controls everything you do. In, in a socialist and communist countries, um, you depend on living in that type of world, and you have no opinion. The only opinion you have is a the, is the government opinion. But, so not to be uh, chauvinistic,
0: my, but was it mostly women that went to church then, women and children?
1: Absolutely, old people yeah. and women, and yeah. kids. Kids were taken to church and there was uh, women kids and old people that couldn't be heard anymore that was life and, and not just for it's me but wild. it's the life for everybody yeah it's it's uh, it, it, it's a kind of world that um, is difficult for people to understand unless they live in it so everything I knew in my life was based on the the, the communists I'm bringing I you know I had to become part of the pioneers. As everyone else did which meant that you were a future communist potential communist uh, member and we all had to go through the whole life and of being prepared to do that it's it's kind of like a um training the minds to become what the government Want you to be what the state? Was, wants you to was be.
0: there a uniform like the Boy Scouts or something like that? Absolutely, the young there was. Yeah. So
1: when you became a pioneer, that there was a day of pioneers. When you were, I think eight years old, uh, you went to school and you had to wear a a, a certain color pants, which were blue, and in the in a white shirt, and they gave you a red, uh, um, banda uh, like a bandana that you put around your neck. So you had a red, white, and blue colors, which was actually colors of our flag. And that became you. That is supposed to signify that now you became a young pioneer and you were gonna be part of the future of this country that is uh, uh, going to be your life, that's gonna control your life. And that was, seemed normal to me. Sure,
0: that's what you're raised with, right? Everybody else did it.
1: Everybody else did it, we didn't know any different. You know, we lived. Uh, we didn't know what we didn't have. We we lived simple. My dad was a butcher. Um, we were quite well off compared to many other people, at least when it came to food. Um, we didn't have much vegetables, but we had certainly a lot of meat. Our breakfast, lunch, and dinner always sure, uh, revolved about having food. <laughs> uh, you know, I I grew up in a in a in a um, house that. Uh, did not have running water, so neither did every every other house. Um, none, nobody had wa- running water. We, when I was little, I, I had to go with my mom. I remember, um, you had to go across the street, about a half a block down, and she had two pails of water. And it was a big uh, um, a well that you kind of big wheel that you turn and you fill up to two wells of water, and that was good enough for most of the day. And in the evening, there was uh, another trip to the well to get another bucket of water and when you brought that bucket of water they was put in a a special place and there was a cup and everybody drank using that same cup and the water was used to cook and wash and whatever you did wow so that was every single day when I got a little older I was able to do that myself go out there and bring the water for the house and that water Uh, would stay
0: uh, unfrozen in the winter because it was deep enough the well
1: yeah the wells are deep enough so yes. yeah okay that wells are deep and and so the, you always got the water and you pretty much you know obviously there was no toilets and there was none of that stuff no one had running water in a the house they didn't exist uh, things like common things that you would think about the grocery stores didn't exist uh, the only place you can buy things in a market or in a few little stores like a, a, a butcher shops those were the only things that were available so that's not so, so to get too
0: deep here, but I got I've got a ton of questions. I you know I have to ask like in a communist uh, country, you know your dad was a butcher. Did he have to buy the animal and then butcher it and then set a price to make a profit off that, or how did that work? No, you know? uh,
1: there was no such thing as a private property. So he worked for a a, a um, okay a a place that it was they had many butcher sh- butcher stores. So, um, he was part of the factory, meatpacking factory, and they had butcher okay. stores. Okay. So, you know, they were workers in a factory, and they um, slaughtered the, the, whether it's the pigs or whether the beef or um, whatever they did, and they produced and they, they shipped it to the stores, and nothing was private. There was no such thing as a private business, mm. it was extre- extremely rare. That you would see a private business. The only private business that I ever saw when I was younger was maybe a shoemaker. It's a guy to making shoes. Um, there was not much more than that. There was, you know, very, very little. You can count on your on on two hands of how many different type of pr- businesses. You could own your restaurant. You could not own anything above two people was pretty much government owned. Hmm. And um, everything belongs to the government to the state. You know, And again, I lived in that world, and that was the only thing I knew. And that was all my friends. We were happy. We played all the time. You didn't know what you didn't know. You didn't know what you were missing. You just didn't realize what life was all about. And did you uh, grow up uh, in a
0: place where neighbors were close, and there was lots of kids, and you, yes. know, you kind of had that, a ton of friends, almost like a barrio, if you will, style of living?
1: Beyond, beyond that, it was just... Uh, I, I grew up in a city which was about 50,000 people in in today, but it was probably about 30,000 people then. So it was a little town. Um, you had tons of friends. Yeah, I, we did, there was no such thing as TV, of course, for us. Um, most of the homes did have electricity, but not all. Uh, radio was the only means of of um, communication on a widespread, or in newspapers, in um, books uh we didn't uh we had a lot of friends and everyone was the same we uh there was no such thing as birthday parties or christmas mm-hmm. parties or mm-hmm. gifts and nobody got gifts we you know what we were missing that's the world yeah. you live in you you <clears> had throat> nothing and <throat> that was perfectly fine with you
0: was there like a special meal though i'm sure at christmas or at these holidays yes
1: but again christmases were all done in private they were not done in public no one no one says Merry Christmas in public, but they do if you're in their home. And and um, men usually didn't participate in that. Men men would kind of stay away from it. They did not want to take the risk of losing their jobs and livelihood and ability to make a life. Hmm. And so that's the that's the world that I grew up with, and that's the the only world I knew. Um, I was involved in sports. I played soccer since I could walk and. And we played soccer every single day of my life. Morning, day, night, winter, cold, didn't matter. Barefoot. That was life. Run, run, Did run. Did you have run, like run, a
0: football. proper soccer ball or was it one of these? No.
1: Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> you made a ball out of something. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Just like no, what you see not. in
0: these uh, third world countries now. These kids will play with anything. Exactly.
1: It's the same okay. kind of stuff. Okay. It didn't matter. It, it didn't matter, and right. you know, we made our own Olympics, and everything was made up, and life was good, and we didn't know anything different than that, and, and it was going to be the, the rest of my life. That sounds like Until a pretty I fun was, childhood, really. It does. It sounds was, pretty it ideal. Was, with the exception of the government, kind of, you know, the control yeah. of, of. But you probably didn't well, know that in,
0: in your childhood. That's you terrible for You kind of begin to realize. You yeah. kind
1: of realize little at the time that something is different. You know why other people act a different way, and how you get taught in school is not the same way you discussions are at home. Hmm. But you, you know, they always tell you, "Don't talk about that." Don't talk about that. And of course, I grew up uh, not that long after the World War II, um, and there was a lot of discussions about the fear. Pe- people learn how to be fearful. During that time, the world war, and then kind of continued into the peace, and this this way it was in the communist peace. So they were not sure which was better, <laughs> being at the communist and or being in, under the, uh, the the condition of war. So that was it was a different kind of world. And, and so your
0: parents certainly knew both sides.
1: Of course. Yeah. Yes. They they
0: yeah, lived. You through didn't. Both sides. Yeah. And that might be part of the reason why they left.
1: No, it it was uh, so the reason the left my my dad's sister uh, married an American U.S. citizen. There was uh, the guy that was born in here in the United States. He was from the same village as my mom and well, my dad was from, and his sister, and his sister married a guy that came back and married her, and they lived in in, uh, in Yugoslavia, um, and then they moved back here in in. Um, in in united states and my dad came in in um, 1964 to visit his sister so he came to united states as a visitor for a month and his best friend was also here the guy that he learned to become a butcher with he also okay. was a best man in my my dad's um, uh, wedding he was here and he actually started his own business. He started a business at the Packing Company, Utica Packing Company, in fact. Okay, wow. It was, you know, they were killing pigs. and So my dad <laughs> came in 1964 to visit uh, his sister and visit his best friend. So he stayed here about a month in the United States. And as soon as he came back, I was uh, 12 years old, 12 and a half years old. He said to my mom and then to us that we're going to go to America. This is, you know, he he kind of described what the world was like. And, um, do you
0: remember how he described
1: it? Yeah. Everything was great. And there was things there that you can't even imagine. Okay. And in my mind, little kids by and I couldn't even understand what he was talking about. I know the Beatles were the big part of that. And of course, blue jeans and he came back in uh from United States with all kinds of things that I never imagined that existed gifts so I got you know gifts like you know yeah. albums Beatle albums and Rolling Stone albums and things of those nature that everybody would die to have and I just had a bunch of it all of a sudden so when my dad came in he went to U.S. Embassy and uh, applied to get a um, uh, to move to United States immigrant to the United States and we waited and we waited and we waited and about took two years for okay. all that stuff to happen. They requested a bunch of information including a guarantee from someone in the United States that if something happens to us that we would not become a. Um, um, like
0: a ward of the state?
1: Ward of the state where The United States would have to take care of us. Someone else would have to pay our bills, and no matter what they were, and my aunt was gracious enough to do that. So she sent us the guarantee, and then we went on a waiting list and waiting list, and we waited, and finally they said it's time to go. At that time, I was 14 and a half, and it was um, um, summertime, and we had to leave. And because of living in the United, in, in Yugoslavia, the communist country. Um, you can't take anything with you. Everything belongs to the state. We At that time, we had a house. We lived in a house. Um, Oh, by the way, about a year or so before we were gone, they finally got the water into the main streets, and we actually got water, and we had a well in our own house, and things got much better. So I was like, why are we leaving this beautiful place now? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... Uh, we had made the decision. My dad was 47 years old. My mom was just about 40 years old, and they had to decide at that moment that they were going to leave everything they had, everything.
0: That is so gutsy. Their parents the careers, too, right?
1: Yeah, they had to leave their careers. They had to, at their, at their age, the careers. They had to leave all their friends. They had to leave the the house. Uh, the bank account, everything that you have, you the 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 government allowed you to take uh, roughly around three thousand dollars in uh, in 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 money. Okay. Everything above that had to stay. It did not belong to you. It belonged was to. Was it state. also
0: like you you mentioned? Hey, I I uh, I can't speak freely in public. But if there are your parents are deciding to go to the United States, does that mean like this is you can't come back and get your job back,
1: type thing? Was yeah, it that? Yeah, most was likely. it viewed that way as well? Uh, and nobody, that was never mentioned that, but it's kind of mean that you're going one way. You're not coming back. Yeah. Okay. But, um, you could, you could, you could, and we, in fact, we did, and I'll get to that in a bit. But anyway, we, um, we left our house. We left all our furniture. Left the left bank accounts. Everything we own, we just left right there to the relatives and says, you know, we couldn't. You can't sell it. You can't do anything. Even if you sell it, there's nothing you can do about it. And we still were not 100% sure that that was the right decision. But we did have a green card. We had an ability to come to the United States. We uh, packed everything we wanted to pack in our suitcases, and we headed to a port. Yugoslavia called Ieka and got on a ship and we're on our way to the United States everything was left in in Yugoslavia everything we own so you so steamed across us, uh, the
0: Atlantic Ocean
1: 19 days it um, must have been pretty cool it was not a it's not a passenger ship per se it was a combination of a few passengers and mostly a cargo ship cargo yeah that must have been exciting so for we you. started in Place called Rijeka, which is the north part of the Adriatic Sea, and then we went along the coast of Italy and stopped in bunch of different places in Italy. About six or seven different ports, including Napoli and Genova and bunch of other uh, Venice and bunch of other places. And we would unload the cargo and load the cargo. And it was about thirty or forty passengers. They were just like us going to United States. And and the last place we stay, stopped in was in Casablanca and and we unloaded some stuff there and then went across the ocean that took about 5 days to uh, go across the Atlantic and we ended up in um, New York Harbor
0: ok uh,
1: got off it got our suitcases off of it and um, none of us spoke any English nobody my sister is 11 I'm 14 and a half She's 11 and a half, 14 and a half. My parents, none of us speaks any English. We get off the, the boat and we're um, in the harbor of the United States. And well, of course, York everybody we... speaks
0: Serbian there.
1: Oh, yeah, everybody speaks <laughs> Serbian. <laughs> <laughs> and I, whatever, you know, I, of course, I never understood what really happened. It was never explained, but um, there was nobody there waiting for us and we we confused what, what what's going on here why where is our uncle and my 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 aunt my uncle they were we thought that they were going to wait for us in new york and pick us up and help us get from new york to detroit well they were not there everybody left and here we are just four of us sitting on our suitcases in a harbor confused and have no idea wow. what's going on where we are what's happening somehow i don't know how it happened i don't remember all the details because it's so long ago but we did manage to make a phone call to uh, my aunt in detroit and my dad and her talked on the phone and it's like where are you well we're in new york where are you how come you didn't come pick us up (laughs) (laughs) that would have been
0: nice right
1: (laughs) well just find a way and get here well how are we going to do that (laughs) God. how about a train <laughs> why we do yeah. that so it, it took us about three days in new york we kind of figured out how to get from a train from a, a port to a train station to buy the ticket to get on the train about two and a half days and finally we arrive in detroit
0: and you arrived and at that that old train station right
1: old train station right yeah. old train station and Their uncle picks us up, and uh, I remember that as clear as today. We're sitting in his big, big, huge, massive car, which I've never seen anything like that before—like a boat.
0: (laughs) Did did your parents have a car in in Yugoslavia?
1: We did, but it was uh, small. You know, it was just a beat-up little crappy thing. Who knows? I don't even remember what it was. But anyway, um, and my dad was so well off that he had a car, which most people did not have. And we actually got the TV about, um, oh, but less than a year before we left, we actually had a TV as well, which was amazing.
0: TV and running water. That's a big improvement.
1: (laughs) And by the way, I didn't see a TV. I didn't see a TV until I was about 13 years old. The first time in my life I saw a TV. That's the kind of world we live in. Yeah. So after my uncle picked us up, um, the very next morning, they lived on Six Mile and Gratiot area. And right behind them was a, a grocery store we across the alley. So we're going to go get some food. So <clears throat> I remember he, he walked in, uh, it was this, like uh, 100 steps from their backyard. We walked into this grocery store, which I've never seen before. He imag- couldn't imagine such a place existed. And I asked them. My eyes just opened up, and and it was it was fascinating to see stuff that you ne- you have no idea what the stuff is. All Boxes the fruits and, stuff. and uh,
0: yeah, right. You're talking about the middle aisles, like the
1: frosted flakes C- and the cans and stuff. It's like what is this? <laughs> you've <laughs> never seen anything like that. It's like. Going to a place that you have never seen before, like, what is this thing? It's like, I asked my uncle, is this a, gro- a biggest store in America? You just kind of laughed, like, <laughs> no, that's like one every, every and block this is when grocery stores were relatively
0: small, too. It's not like you went to, to a to Walmart, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> no, not the Walmart, this was just the Wrigley grocery store, you know, Wrigley, okay, Wrigley grocery store. <laughs> So that was that was my beginning in the United States. It it was fascinating. Fascinating. And that was uh August time frame. August third is when we actually arrived in the United States, which is actually today. It is,
0: yeah. So how many years it ago is was today? that? Yeah. Uh nineteen sixty
1: six. Okay. So today thirty four plus twenty two. Fifty <clears throat> six years
0: ago. Sixty six. Oh yeah,
1: fifty six. <laughs> no no yeah 66 years ago 56 years ago what am I saying yeah 56 years ago today we arrived and um, and um, life was good we lived with my aunt uh, and uncle and they had a little house they were on the first floor imagine the homes in Six Mile and Woodward area they were single family homes when the upstairs was finished and Myself and my sister and my mom and dad lived upstairs. They had like one room and everything was great for about two weeks. And I remember my mom came in one morning, like three o'clock in the morning. She said, "Uh, pack up your stuff. We got to (laughs) go. It's like, what's going on?
2: Two weeks later. (laughs)
1: Two and a half weeks later, adults have ways of finding things that just don't seem to be important but they somehow think they do and they must have gotten in some kind of argument and we had to leave okay. okay fortunately we had some friends somewhere not far away and somehow we managed to go somewhere else for a few days and my 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 dad and my see, sister got in the argument and that didn't go well and we had to leave like there right there and then in the middle of the night wow and uh, so we left and my uncle was a great guy her husband who was not even you know bloodly related to us but he he helped us all out Um, despite his wife and my dad didn't get along brother and sister didn't get along he helped stepped in and found us a place in woodward and nine mile in ferndale we actually uh, rented a house and um he helped Register me to ninth grade in high school ferndale high school and my sister in the middle school and uh it's a good selfless the, man
0: there yeah
1: he did unbelievable job for us that's wonderful yeah he was, he was just unbelievable resource to us even though the parent my, my dad and his sister still didn't talk he stepped in and did everything else that he it should be done. And so he helped us all out, get us started. And in September, I went to school, to uh, Ferndale High School in the ninth grade. And I remember walking into a, um, you know, he walked me into the principal's office or wherever the school office is and did some blah, blah, blah in English. And they walked me and then he said, bye. And he walked me into this room and they set me into this classroom and I sat in this classroom. And all I, you know, bunch of kids. I looked the red left and right, and there were little uh, desks and not nothing I've seen before. We didn't have anything like that in schools where I came from, and the teacher was just doing blah 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 in English. I had no idea what was going oh, boy. on. Boy, yeah. The bell rings and everybody stands up and leaves, and I'm just sitting there like, okay, now what? Were, <laughs> were you the
0: only student that that couldn't speak English?
1: Yeah. Really? By, okay. Yeah that's it just it, it, it was I, the bell rings and even teacher walks out and I'm just sitting there and then I see a bunch of new kids walking and I'm still sitting in the same spot and teacher comes back in the room and he's looking at me like he's telling me something blah 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 I asked me for some gave him some of my papers and he looks at it walks me gets me up and walks me into a different classroom and okay so I figured maybe I was just in the wrong place so he sits me in a new classroom and the process repeats and hour later, 50 minutes later, there were, the bell rings and everybody gets up and leaves. And I'm still sitting there. So still these confused. Were
0: rotations from hour to hour. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> still confused. and have no clue what's going on. Completely confused. And, um, that goes on the whole day. Um, I rotate all the classrooms and just to set the why that happened is because the school system is totally different from where I came from in, in Yugoslavia where I was going the first eight grades is you sit in the same classroom all the time with the same group of kids and at the end of the of class. various the,
0: ages as well, is that right?
1: Yes. The, at, the end of the, at the end of the class, the uh, teacher leaves and a new teacher comes in. You end up mm. sitting in the exact same room, same, exact same seat. Nothing ever changes. Just the teacher comes in. Obviously, the system is completely opposite. In Where I was at now, and I didn't quite get it. But It took me about a couple of days to figure that out. But after about a week um, of that, now I'm able to walk from room to room to room. I still got nothing out of walking from room to room to room. Still had no clue what was happening, who was saying what and what was going on. Did not understand one single thing, did not do any work, did not do any homework. So finally, they got contacted my uncle again. They said, this is not working out. He does not know what he's, you know, what he's supposed to be. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He does not understand what's going on. We need to learn how to speak English. Before I'm sure your sister was
0: going through the same thing.
1: Process. And they contacted this school and they found out exactly same thing and talking to my sister. She didn't know what right. was going on either. None of us. Neither one of us did. Right. So they came with a new program. They're going to teach us some English. At that time there was no such thing as a uh, English learning for foreign-born students in, in the area. Did not exist. No, no concept existed. But uh, the educators came up with this uh, idea that there was a place in an inner city in the Detroit area. and think there was a six mile in Nevada, somewhere in that area. And uh, it was a, a school for a mentally handicapped children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in an elementary school, like first grade, second grade, third grade. And they were teaching them words, English, by pictures and sounds. So they decided that we should go to that. And um, we had to catch a bus from Nine Mile in Woodward to State Fair, which was a bus station. And I know the spot. We went, yep. And then my sister and I would get off that bus into the station and go to another bus. They would take us from from there to the Six Mile in Woodward. We get off of that bus, so we get another Six Mile bus which will take us in, in this down the six mile road. And we get off the third bus and then we walk a couple blocks to the school, which was in a neighborhood. And we go in a room, we will sit in this room. These were all little kids that were probably up to my waist and I was already a teenager. And these were very severely mentally handicapped children and they would just show them pictures of a car and they say car or dog. Or Just teaching them
0: words, vocabulary, yeah.
1: All day long.
0: Uh, Just
1: constantly, day after day, minute after minute. So, what words, was your attitude words,
0: like through that? Do you, do, can you very recall? I was
1: Yeah. Oh, of course. I was extremely yeah. frustrated. You know, my hormones were kicking in. Uh, I was looking around, I was like, I went from being in a perfectly fine place to this. Right. It was very frustrating, very confusing. Um I end up but I figured really quickly there's only one way out of it and that's to learn as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And I had this uh, uh dictionary, this English to Serbian and I would I still have it.
0: <laughs> that's a precious I sit book. On that,
1: I sat on that bus and I, I was reading billboards and street names and signs and anything and I would just and watch looking the, it up. Looking yeah. it up. Yeah. Looking it up, looking it up and words and looking it up and looking it up and and um watching T V and looking it up and and that became the way to learn to speak English. And it, it will learn it fast. In January I was back in this, my regular class in the ninth grade. Um That's and so impressive. was my sister. That's impressive. So we were back wow. in a in our regular class. Then I had to catch up to everything I missed, and then I take all the tests. And by the, the end of the school year, we were trying to decide whether I should pass into the tenth grade and same thing or with repeat, my sister, right? Yeah. Or repeat, and they decided to let me pass. Wow! So I passed the first. Do you feel like your of-
0: education in in uh, Yugoslavia the first? Um, eight grades, if you will, prepared you well. Was it solid in terms of you know mathematics and?
1: It was. The, okay. Yes, the, that was that was the one of the key things. I was really, I, I found that part, all the everything but English. I was fine with because I knew all the stuff. I was in a proper place. Education was thought very important in communist countries. Very mm. important. Yeah. So educationally I was good. I was learning all the right stuff. I knew all the right stuff. I was able to catch up. It's the English part. The words, English is very difficult language to know and understand and speak and and communicate and you know constantly translating in your head and it's very difficult. And learning a foreign language is very hard until you begin to think in that foreign language. And I kind of figure that out at some point in time that you got to start thinking in that foreign language otherwise it doesn't work and that happened at some point so that was my first year in the united states i graduated summer came again we were um living uh, still in ferndale nine mile in woodward about a block block and a half off off uh, woodward right and near Comos. Right by almost. There was a the summer yeah. of 1967, <laughs> and there was a turbulent days in Detroit history for those that were alive at that time. Um, and we, unbeknown to us, as all of a sudden we had a um, a whole world turn upside down, and it was Detroit riots started. Mm. And um, it was a summertime, and I would you know we were sitting on our porch and we could see Woodward to our right and all of a sudden we start seeing these tanks going down the the, the street and they went on for like 4 days no kidding all the streets yeah. were closed the tanks were coming in from north heading towards the city and they went on 7 by 24 just constantly and they they took over uh, and we sat there like what just happened to us <laughs> As a family we came to the united states in a year later now we have tanks going down the front yard so it was a very difficult time for us remember we left all our house and everything back in yugoslavia so we had a a family meeting i'm sure my parents did it before us and they said that they were thinking about going back moving back and uh, they quickly made a decision that, yes, they're going to move back. So we packed all our crap again <laughs> come October. Uh, now, at the end of September, we packed all our crap back.
0: That's just into incredible. The
1: suitcases. And this time, we did not take a boat. We took a plane back. Our house was still there. Everything, our bank accounts was still there. We moved back, and my dad was able to get his job back to be a butcher so he went we went back we said this is it we tried it it's not for us it's the war zone it's not something we're gonna was it just the to, war
0: zone um, or was it also like the school experience and i know your dad everything. went from being yeah everything was pretty everything. tough in that transition but you for gave it a good everything. year right or not a year but yeah, maybe yes. seven months yes yeah we
1: did everything was very difficult it was extremely difficult uh you know they my parents didn't speak any English. They didn't get further, yeah. much further. My, you know, my sister and I were now in school, but it was very difficult.
0: Probably felt isolated um, compared to all your neighbors and friends the, and family. The
1: kids, the kids are very cruel. Yeah, imagine that. I mean, sure. I had no friends. My sister had no friends. No one wanted to associate with us. Yeah, it was a very difficult time. I became we became extremely isolated. Had to be lonely. You know? Yeah very difficult so we were in favor of going back so we returned back my 10th grade I went back we went back to our house and I went back to what they call a gymnasium which is now in a you know, second year in gymnasium and I was uh, back to the familiar place where I sat in the same room and the teachers came in after an hour <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, now speaking English quite well uh, no, I, I, I excelled quite well in my 10th grade and Life was good back then. I was a popular kid. I had brought all this stuff from America and everything was great. You could flirt with
0: girls, all that, right? Oh, my God.
1: I had all the girls that I wanted to. And now I'm I'm 16 years old now. By that time, time, 15 and a half, almost 16 years old. And life was good. And everything was great. And then all of a sudden, the Russians invaded Czechoslovakia. And the whole European world became turbulent. We lived in a main street in, in a city called Zrenyanin. That's where we, our, our house was. And here we are in a main street. And we're not that far away from a border where uh, Russians were probably dominant, which was Hungary. And all of a sudden, in the summer of 1968, we see tanks going in front of our house. <laughs> wow. This time they were the communist tanks okay. going towards the border. And they went on so for like a couple I don't couple think weeks. I've ever
0: heard this story from you then. So prior to this time, Yugoslavia was communist, but not part of the USSR. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they're they not part of the bloc. They were independent okay. communists. The, the okay. Yugoslavia was communist and Tito was the the, the leader and he decided he was to have his own brand of communism. He wasn't going to be part of the the, the Russian uh, mm-hmm. bloc of communists. Sure. So they were kind of afraid of the Russians. They were the only ones, the outliers. of the, everyone, the rest of the Europe was under the communist bloc except for Yugoslavia. The only one. And so they, a, a, and Albania, but Albania was more closer to um, uh, Chinese at that point. But we were the only one, that were not, so they were afraid that the Russians will say, hey, we might as well take this country as well and give them access to the Adriatic Sea as well. So it was a big fear. Uh, so once again, we're, we're seeing this happening in the summertime of 1968. My parents had another uh, meeting, and this time they said, you know, as bad as the America was, it's still a safer place for the future. But now, you know, my dad's 49 years old. So once again, we decided to take the same path. We packed all our Boy, crap. Boy, was that a good back decision. The, back I, I saw your
0: dad near the end of his life, you know, when I came to visit you in Florida with my son, yeah. Nick. And we still talk about your dad where he, he, would, he would sit in his chair and we were getting ready for dinner and he'd say, isn't this great? Isn't this place the best? You know, he's just <laughs> <Right>. so... <laughs> happy there well, what a good it, it's decision it's hard to
1: understand how people like him and my mom my dad went um to school to only to the fourth grade yeah wow. he's only got a fourth grade education so does my mom they both went only four grades and they were able to figure life really well sure Without I mean... any formal education fourth grade education so, you know we packed doesn't all our crap you, doesn't back. mean
0: you're not smart doesn't mean you haven't learned your whole life right just means you weren't formed you get the phd
1: you got a phd in life basically right right so that's what you do and decision making and
0: risk taking and yeah Well, he he saw the took it sounded very difficult but wow what a great decision just had to call that out
1: it did. so anyway we packed all our stuff this time again on a plane We we flew directly to Detroit and we found a place that we rented in Sterling Heights and now I'm in my third high school for the 11th grade in Sterling Heights, in Stevenson High School. I'm now in 11th grade. They happened to just open the brand new school. So now I'm in the 11th grade in that school and uh, at the end of that year, uh, school year, my parents decided uh, they were going to um, do something that make it permanent. And they bought a house in Detroit, wow. a seven mile in, it, actually eight mile in in, um, in Van Dyke. And uh, we, we now decided we're not going back. We left our place in Yugoslavia as is. Bought a
0: house, yes. We're here, bought move. a
1: house and. Big move, big decision, an eight-mile in in Van Dyke. We bought a house, and in my 12th grade, I was now in my fourth high high school, and that was Osborne High School. Okay. And that's where I ended up graduating from, Osborne High School.
0: Osborne High.
1: I I actually graduated six months ahead of uh, my class. And then in the winter of of uh, 1970, beginning of January of 1970, I graduated out of school. And I was preparing to go on my next journey. And uh, that was going to be going to become an electrical engineer at Wayne. And I was uh, um, admitted to school engineering at Wayne State. That was going to be my path. I really liked it, you know, electronics. I was always even. Back when I was 12 years old, 11, 10, 11, 12 years old, I would take up old radios and take them apart and take the tubes out and look at all the resistors and transistors and capacitors and no transistors, just tubes and capacitors. and. Uh, well, that was it, kind
0: of the new tech when you were coming up, right? You know, radios oh, and then TV right, and right. less and my so dad than the internal in a, combustion engine.
1: My dad brought bought in tra- Transistor radio. When he came United out of the United States, when we were here, so, I mean, we brought a radio that just that had a transistor. It was like, what the hell is a transistor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I had to take it apart and look inside. Was there, the was there
0: any education in high school around electronics? It was, it was, I mean, there was physics, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was physics, but I also they had ability to um, do extra, and that's what I did. I, I did extra. Okay. There was an electronics, so I was really good at electronics. That's why I wanted to be an electrical engineer. I was so convinced I was going to be an electrical engineer. So my career, um, you know, I also worked as a. At that, I was now beginning to work. Actually, I started working before that. I worked with my dad at Utica Packing uh, when I was, uh, you know, 16 and then 17 and 18. And then I got a job at Farmer Jack, which is a grocery store, and I. Really yeah. enjoyed doing that. I don't and, know if there's any
0: more Farmer Jacks, but I remember it.
1: No, they got bought out by A.M.P. and then they the name disappeared. But Farmer Jack no. was obviously a big grocery store in Michigan, and you know, in in the Midwest, they were really good for me. So now I'm um, uh, entering Wayne State, but my parents couldn't afford to pay for my school. So my path to that was is. I was going to continue working full-time at Wayne State, and I would work at nights. I'd go in, inside of the grocery store at 11 at p.m. They would lock us in, a number of us, and we were stocked the shelves with all the groceries for the, uh, wow. during the night. And they would come okay. back at seven in the morning, unlock the door, and we would leave. When and did there, you the sleep? Store, uh, well, then I went to school. And then I went to school and, you know, whatever the school was that day, whatever I signed up classes, I would sign up. And then I'd get home and did some homework. Then I would sleep and then go to work and repeat the process every day. Just repeat that process. Go to to work at 11, work till 7, go to school, Wayne State, take classes. Were you like the
0: only person that was working that hard that you knew of? Oh, probably. Or was that pretty I, I, common?
1: I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah.
0: Hard to tell, yeah.
1: Hard to tell. Hard to tell.
0: That's impressive. Hard
1: to tell. That's, That's the impressive. path that I took. Uh, How many as, years was that? A, uh, that was for year for a year and a half I did that. Okay. And then I found out that um, as part of my education at Wayne State Electrical School of Electrical Engineering, I had to take some classes... That um, were part of the engineering curriculum, but they had nothing to do with technical things. It was more like, "What does it mean to be an engineer?" Hmm. And I had to go, uh, you know, as part of the classes, they send you to a, a place. I, I don't remember where it was, but some of the businesses would accredit accredited with the school, and okay, you just so actually, in out there. in the industry, right? You walk in there, and you were there um, for half a day, a week. You were there just to see what's the job like. And you get credit for taking for taking that class. So I was still convinced that I wanted to be electrical engineer until I took that class. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that class was a gift. Imagine if they did that for teachers and if they did that for doctors. I mean people might question their their path. That's a that, that's great that they did that.
1: They did that. And and I like oh my god, I don't want to do that. I found that incredibly boring job. Yeah, and I look around these people, and they did not look very happy to me. Yeah, they were happy at moments, but they had many many uh, long periods of time they were not happy at all. They, you know, you know like what's amazing
0: statement. to me though, it just it's just one of my observations of you is you're able to go through that move back and forth from Yugoslavia. You're able to go through those four months in that classroom with uh, the young, mentally disabled children, teach yourself English. You're able to go through those things, but you're also, and I think your parents had this too, able to grit through that, but you're also able to say, hmm, I don't wanna sit there when I'm 50 and have a sour face because I'm doing these boring electrical engineering projects all day long. You're able to see, you can grit through it, but you also want more. Just you see the future. You project in yeah.
1: the future. You project in yeah. the future. That's that's what I did at that moment when I took that class. I got credit for it, but I I decided that's not what I wanted to do. I still love electronics at that moment. I loved all of that stuff, but I was also extremely lucky again through the curriculum that the school also offered. Um, because computers became popular or beginning to become popular, they offer some programming languages. So I had to take the programming language. You know, I was offered the programming languages and I did. So I took basic, Fortran, advanced Fortran, COBOL, and I discovered that I really liked that. I so love I didn't that like stuff the too.
0: Just loved it.
1: Engineering stuff, but I really liked the programming stuff. Mm-hmm. So I figured, okay, I got it. I'm gonna be going into computer engineering stuff. So I went to talk to the, you know, Wayne State, and they and to my uh, advisor. And the thing, his name was Dr. Briggs. I, right? you know, he was head of the computer department, and like I wanted to get a degree in computer science. Like, oh, we don't offer that. There was no such hmm. path.
0: They just had they classes.
1: They just had few classes, and the way the classes were offered at that time is they were offered late at night. Usually, the the, uh, Goodyear, for example, offered their mainframe time frame between Mm. like three in the morning till six in the morning. Okay. So that's it. So you submit your data in the afternoon, and you don't have your like punch cards, and you don't have your answer. Till the next day and you find out that you misspelled one letter out of this whole deck of that's three inches thick you misspelled you know maybe you misspelled 20 different letters you have to fix that then you wait another day then you wait in another day till, till you finally figure out all of the, the stuff because it was all done at night
0: i remember my math teacher in the eighth grade taught Fortran and we used punch cards, but we were able to run them through a reader and run the program at the school, which is pretty incredible. So that was probably. Uh, yeah, that was advanced. That's probably 78. Yeah.
1: That was advanced. At that time, it was already advanced. You can do that at home almost at 78. Some of the yeah. TRS 80s and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So I was very happy to, to find out that that was my options so, you know I, i'm I'm still working at farmer jack at night but now i found out that i can't do i can become computer engineering and there's no way i can go to any school that offered it there was not many schools like way uh, wayne state didn't offer it and nothing in detroit did the only options i had was like michigan state or michigan which is not an option for me there was no money right to do anything right. like that that was absolutely outside of the re- re- remote possibilities of ever happening for me. So I dropped out. After a year and a half, I dropped out of Wayne State. Okay. I found an alternative path. To me, the alternative path was there was a, a, a organization called Control Data Institute. I remember in that, Southfield. sure. In Southfield. And they offered a path for you to become a, a computer technician, to learn how to fix computers. And so, in a year and about a year program, one year program, and I was a very good electronics. And part of that, you had to learn, you know, all the electronics, the resistors, the capacitors, and all of the stuff, and transistors now, and how all that works, and fix how to fix the the computers. So, I went to that program and graduated that out of that program in 1973. And right away, I, I so um, how long was that program? It was about a year. Okay. One year program, but it's it was it was literally ten hours a day. Right. Uh, Intensive. Between the classroom and laboratory, you did a lot and the homework. You it was a full day. I still worked during that time yeah. in the yeah. evening. So yeah. it was it it was still a, a long program. So I did it in a year, and then I got a job at the. Uh, at the tank plant in Michigan on 12 mile in wood in in Van Dyke is where they make tanks. And I was hired there. uh, That was not in the same way that was then. They literally made tanks. And so it's the general Dynamics
0: spot now. Yeah. Yes. General dynamics land systems. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Yes. So they were making tanks and I got a job in their computer department where they would, um, um, had a a mainframe RCA 3301, which was state-of-the-art large system. They would um, keep track of all the pieces and parts required to build a tank. They will have these printouts of where these parts are located, anywhere in the country, and how they can be transported to the factory to be made. So I got a job there.
0: However Do you remember just ballpark, you know, what your salary was compared yes. to Farmer Jack?
1: Oh, yeah. Now I was making real money. <laughs>
0: I was, so uh, that's kudos to control data, right? Within one yes. year of intensive school, you can have very marketable skills and get a job and make real money.
1: So that was my really first job. The company, yeah. So, you know, the, here I am. I'm making about twelve thousand dollars. This okay. is what my income was at that point in time. Yeah. And my dad was a meat cutter, and he was probably making less than that. Um, so That's yeah, impressive. I was yeah. Now, I was now making good money. I was in a computer field, but so I was going to tell you about the the job um, before I got it hired. But before I can step into the government facility that's making tanks they had to do a background check on me mm. and that they say the government will do that you know now you hired we're going to send you to their their place in Atlanta where you can just be in a classroom to learn about this particular computer the RCA 3301 but you can't step at the site where they actually make tanks until your security clearance is set and uh And you also need to become a U.S. citizen. So this is the time I went to the, when I applied, I became the U.S. citizen. So there was a process of both at the the simultaneous day. I became a U.S. citizen and then applied for that citizenship. And then I became a citizen. And then they did a security background check. That process took about four months before I was hired getting paid. Could not step in my job. Didn't even know what existed until that was finished.
0: But they were and paying you through that process. They were Paying me, right? And sponsoring paying. you, probably in a way.
1: They were paying me, and I lived in a, pretty much lived in the, in 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 uh, Atlanta. Okay. I traveled from Michigan to Atlanta. That's why I went to, to school for months, three months, learning wow. how to fix those computers. Wow! And you know. It, so once i got my clearance uh, i had to get the highest security clearance i can walk in the computer room and put my hands on the on the computers and have access to the tapes and data and and all that stuff so then i then i was working on the computers it was fascinating i learned so much about computers i just loved that whole world and uh, now i was back where i really wanted to be then i got married I I really love working for government. It was it was great and uh so that was my first entrance in 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 the future of working into the um actual jobs. I loved it. Then I got married, met Rita. Actually met Rita when I was working at Farmer Jack, <laughs> working nights and all that stuff. Oh, really and, did she uh, work with you? Well, she actually worked um in Kmart's, which was next door. Okay. We, the okay. Kmart's and Farmer Jack shared the same building. Sure. There were Kmart's on one side and Farmer Jack was another. And when I worked on weekends, which uh, I didn't want to miss that opportunity, we would go and have our lunches at Kmart, which had a restaurant in it. And I would met uh, this girl that was uh, working there and happened to be Rita. And that continued and we got married. Mm-hmm. Life was great. Another great I decision, worked. man. I, I carried a beeper and fixing computers, and uh, it was on on call. And you could I sleep
0: was, at night most of the time, though, right?
1: I could sleep at night, but then there were days that you would be there twenty four hours a day for weeks, for for okay. a week straight. Pretty much slept on the floor, fixed computers, fixed the mainframe. And when computer, you were fixing
0: like, it, when you were fixing it, was it mostly a hardware issue? Oh, or yes. could it be software? It's hardware.
1: It's rare that it's software. It's very rare. Okay. It was mostly hardware, some glitch in hardware. Okay. At that time, the computers, there were no chips. They were only transistors, resistors, just transistors were as, as sophisticated as they came. With the very, we, Then we started getting some, beginning to get in some uh, uh, chips. Um, there was a, a Sperry Univac. It was a small system that they, the government acquired and that we worked on. And then we saw things in there like, whoa, what the hell is that? <laughs> it <clears> probably makes in. it a lot
0: more reliable.
1: But also confusing. Sure. <laughs> but we, we, we began trained on that, so I was learning that. There was an IBM 360 that we worked on, but there was also discrete components. It was it was There it was, it was, it was no chips in that at all. So I worked in a IBM 360, I worked in an RCA, I worked in a Sperry. Then we got a deck, which was all chips. Okay. Uh, so I really liked that part. I, I transitioned into working quite primarily on deck equipment. But again, um, there was no such thing as spare parts. You had to diagnose the down to the component, to and the replace chip. replace
0: it or to, fix it.
1: And solder it, we put a new one in. Fix it, and you move on. That's that's what we did. And the components were not as dependable as they are now. They would fail a lot more often. Mm-hmm. They would design uh, much different than that they are today. So I learned how to fix computers down their components. And like you said, some of the times it wasn't a hardware problem. It was a software problem. But you had to figure that out too. And okay. then you got other people involved to fix that. Okay. So that was a, a, that was a good transition. It was my first real job. And, um, and then another thing happened, it was kind of weird. So when well, you got married as friends, well,
0: you moved out of the house and you had a job, yeah, and a, your own car. Yeah, Rita and, and I things. got married.
1: We, my parents uh, bought a house that they were renting a couple years before we got married on Six, on Seven Mile in Van Dyke. Okay. And. They decided to let us live in that house. You know, they, they, the renters, moved out, and Rita and I lived in their house, and uh, for for three years. And then, you know, we bought our own. And um, so, as I was working for the government, one of the guys that I was working with decided he was going to leave, and he left, and he joined this company called Prime Computer. So he worked for Prime Computer for a year and we kept in touch. His name was Dennis Abbott. So Dennis worked for Prime Computer, but we kept in touch. Uh, But, you know, we worked together at the government. And then one day he invited Rita and I to his house. He says he wanted to talk to us about something very special. Okay. So here we go. Rita and I show up in his house. (laughs) You guessed it. I've had a few of those You didn't let me get to the story.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I guessed it. I thought he was going to offer you a job.
1: That's so what I thought. Was, oh, I had no God. idea what was this going to be. He sat us in his chairs, and this is, is a flip uh, in front of us, and, you know, what would you like to drink and eat, and two chairs, and Rita and I sitting in these chairs, and, and he's going to this story, and all of a sudden he flips the chart, and there's a picture of a Cadillac, and... Uh, an exponential you know, curve and all of this blah blah yeah. blah and yeah. I'm thinking of all of this and he's how rich he's going to be and he went on to the whole evening and I you know and he says Does this, doesn't it this sound great and all that and It's like only question I had for Dennis is are you going to leave quit your prime computer company that you're working for right now he's like yeah I'm quitting <laughs> I'm going to do this just this like uh you know anybody at Prime Computer I can talk to? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very clever. Jeez.
1: Well, I never joined the, the Amway.
0: <laughs> I wonder how Dennis ended up at Amway. Who knows? Maybe he's one of those gold medallion pyramid owners. No, he didn't. No, <laughs> he dropped no. out too. Jesus. So
1: I got Dennis's job at Prime Computer. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. Good parlay.
1: Oh, uh, Rita will tell you about that story as well. So I I interviewed, uh, again, now I went from like $12,000 to about $18,000. Wow. 30% increase. Yeah. But my job at Prime Computer, you know, Prime was all chips. They, they liked me because I knew how to work on chips. and uh, But they didn't have no spare boards, none of that. Their boards were 19-inch uh, wide by 15-inch deep or 19 inch deep by 15 inch, oh, no, they were 19 inch wide by 19 inch deep, that's what they were, okay. full of chips, all chips, few hmm. resistors, few few capacitors, But so you'd have to f- find a problem, it's a mini computer, and this time, it was really a big combination of hardware and software could be wrong, because they wrote their own operating system, so you had to know it all, you had to figure it all out. They really liked my background cuz I could fix anything, no the chips. So they gave me a an oscilloscope, Tektronix 465, a suitcase full of spare parts and logic prints and a, a listing of the operating system software and all the compiler listing software and all of that stuff and after they they trained me the headquarters was in Boston. So I spent like six weeks in Boston getting trained. Okay. And they said, Okay, your territory is the world. Fix wow. the computers. Wow.
0: That's <laughs> intense. Computer, you get airlifted into wherever the computer's at and you have to get
1: it back online. Yeah. yeah. And it was just you. There was no, wow. no, nothing. There was no spare part. There was no um, expert that can come and bail you out no nothing it's just you not and even like a, a
0: hotline not even a bat we, phone
1: yeah we we had we had guys that there's a guy named Larry half he was really good when i get yeah. in trouble i called larry and larry was so damn good he he, he was the a zillion times better than me <laughs> but i would you know muddled through until i got desperate and i called larry and then larry would and i would figure shit out and fix it and um sometimes it'll take days days to find the component that's broke and then you unsolder it you solder it you fix it you cross your finger and you hope you stay another half a day make sure it's all working and then you're off to another problem somewhere else In the meantime, they're waiting for you to show up, and they're not happy when they see your face. <laughs> right? They're usually happy when you leave. You had no right. other options. You just fix right. whatever the problem is. You fix it. You fix it. You fix it. You fix it, and you move a on. A lot
0: of pressure, huh?
1: Oh, God. It was, it was beyond pressure. So you so got then, a 33% you
0: know, pay raise, but you got a 5,000% stress raise.
1: Yes. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved yeah, it okay. beyond loved it. I was able to use my electronics. I was able to uh, use my logic capability to think logically because the computers are obviously all logical. And it was just a fascinating world to me. I just loved it beyond loved it. Sounds like you
0: were mostly working alone in that job.
1: Oh, you're 100% alone. Alone, yeah. You were. You were. You only depended on you and Larry. When I got really <laughs> desperate. <laughs> But other than that you hundred percent on you and you had to figure it out and there was nobody that could help you just piece of paper and a oscilloscope and and voltmeter and that's how you figured it out. you just did it all by yourself and then the uh, you know I did that for about three years flying around everywhere anywhere you can imagine and then read then Rita got pregnant and we had you know Jenny was born mm-hmm. I got tired. Yeah. I got literally burned out. One of my customers, was General Motors, they had a prime computer at Detroit Diesel, and uh, I asked whether they'd be willing to hire me. Okay. But um, they said they, you know, they knew who I was. They knew everything, and they they hired me. So I worked in their engineering laboratory. They have. Uh, um, engineering laboratory where they were testing diesel engines heavy duty big heavy diesel engines in right. redford is yeah. where the place is located in michigan and we would uh, uh, they would test the engines on a dynamometer hook up to a diesel engine computer controlling the the dynamometer and the interface collecting the data and controlling the the, the engines for whatever cycle whether it would be durability cycle or emission cycle or certain part failure. So, cycle did you
0: Swift, switch into writing software then to run these tests?
1: It was a combination of both, but it was okay. a 90, 95% software, all software. Yeah. So, I, I used my skills that I knew about Fortran, um, and um, I used Fortran. To write application software the engineer will come up with a test idea and i would be the programmer they would write the test and together we would diagnose the results and collect information and whatever it is and then we would we would collaborate on what the, the process is so um, you were both the
0: dev and the infrastructure and you also did the data and analytics it sounds like
1: right, right. <laughs> we were Pretty using cool. computers yeah company called Modcomp, made by com- okay. uh, computer Modcomp, is a um kind of mini computer at that time was a small fortran and then at that time uh 8080 8080s 8086 came in so we started writing assembly code
2: hmm.
1: and 8086 to control the engine so that became closer a little bit to hardware so at that time I was at General Motors I was there um, as a computer programmer technician
0: do you think just to pause you there for a minute so you were you were running these tests on the dynamometer to you know test durability I'm sure and different things but do you think all that work eventually hit a light bulb like well why don't we do engine control and spark control and all of this and and get rid of the mechanics on that and have a computer run it or do you think that's how that all came about?
1: I don't From think so. The, no. diesel engines are uh, very little electronics, if any. Hmm. It's primarily hmm. diesel engines are designed for a different purpose. They're especially diesel engines that the, the Detroit Diesel makes. They were primarily selling diesel engines in a heavy-duty uh, mining. Where they would yeah. run okay. 7 by 24 by 365, and they wanted as least components as possible. Any electronic would be a det- detriment. If that goes okay. wrong, they got to shut it down or they have to have a spare, which is not not an option. So they keep it as simple as possible just to be durable. The last forever is the only option. Last forever, mm-hmm. never break. So we would run these durability tests, and we would be like a, um, a two, eight, Cylinders, blocks side together to make it a 16-cylinder blocks. That we would literally um, destroy one cylinder, two cylinders, three cylinders, and run it to see how much power, how long can it run with four cylinders out of the 16 missing 25%. Mm, okay, that was that was the goal <laughs> to run it. It never They'd literally stop. Never stop. That's money. Keep it hot the, and turning. Yeah. Okay. Keep it going so you know at that time at gm i was getting paid really well and i was probably in my thirty thousand range by then maybe wow so things were good
0: okay and you could be home for for jenny and and rita i was
1: home i didn't fly anywhere i just stayed home which is great and you know there uh, there
0: is a little lesson here too i think you know i um my daughter recently switched jobs and ended up working out really good for her. I've got a nephew that kind of hasn't switched jobs, and he's super valuable at the company he's at, and he knows it, and um, we kind of talk sometimes, you know, maybe if you did make a move, it'd be a good thing, but it sounds like, you know, these moves you made from the the tank business to Prime to General Motors all were really fruitful in terms of earnings and learnings.
1: Exactly. And that was exactly the reasons I did that. Yeah. I wanted to expand the possibilities and growth. I was always looking for a next thing. That's the key word. Always a next thing. So, while I was at at Detroit Diesel, Allison, uh, the next thing for me became Chevy Engineering was beginning to think about offering diesel engines in their trucks and their vehicles. So, they had no experience in... In diesel at all so they didn't need to build their environment so they needed to get some diesel engineers and obviously programmers that can deal with it so they recruited me so (laughs) so then i was moved over to chevy engineering doing the same stuff of course i asked for a raise (laughs) which they gave me. (laughs) why not that's your time right they had no option (laughs) they had no option (laughs) right they they had no option, and they gave me a raise, and uh, so I, I was able to get a, a be real close to home. I lived in Sterling Heights at that point, and uh, uh, by then I had a second child. Mark was born, and I was close to home. Life was really, really good. I was working for General Motors. I was GM combined between Detroit Diesel and Chevy about five years, and. Uh, I couldn't imagine ever leaving, but then I thought, like, "God, these people are still slow." I found that working for a company like General Motors, I found that I was kind of like a brick in a Chinese wall. Yeah, I was nobody. I yeah. was nothing. I didn't yeah. contribute. Nobody cared who I was or what I was. I was just nothing. I was still so small, and the company was so huge. And then EDS came in, and they split up from General Motors, and it's like they were talking about people like me becoming to work for EDS. And but you we were in IT,
0: really. You were within engineering. Did they engineering. ever get that group? Yeah.
1: Oh, yes. They got eventually got that they group, did. too. They did? Okay. Yeah, they first moved into the business side, and I saw that coming, and I was like, I don't want to work for EDS. Yeah. So I, I end up looking for other options. Again, okay. next thing. Looking for next thing. And my next thing was... The old thing which was prime computer prime computer was looking for somebody that can um you know now has a lot of programming experience in technology and uh, so i decided i'll go back to prime computer
0: back on the road though
1: no but i wanted to get back into, in not fixing stuff i was going to be a, a software engineer okay uh System system analysts, they call them system analysts at that time, all operating system. And I, I knew their operating system from the core. They got bigger by the time I came back, but the inner core was still the same. I mm-hmm. just had to learn the layers that were pulled on top right. of it. So okay. I became a operating system specialist. I became so good that I became the operating system specialist for the whole um, central operations. I was number one. I was the guy. I was Larry. Half people called about their operating system problems. So wh- where was, where
0: was Prime Computer located at?
1: Uh, the headquarters was in Boston. That's okay. what the headquarters was. And here we had an office in Troy, in Michigan. Okay. We had office in Troy. <clears throat> so I worked uh, in, in top of Troy was. Um, where we were, we were at when I first started back at Prime Computer. And okay. we worked, we moved to three different places, but all along the, the Big Beaver area.
0: And you were networked so together, was, uh, pre-internet networking somehow.
1: Yes, and then it, Prime Computer became big at Ford Motor Company, where they were used as a, as a design workstation for designing cars, CAD mm-hmm. CAM. So okay. I was part of that cat cam process where we built the infrastructure. So as I went back to... Actually, as I was leaving General Motors, I, I decided that I was going to um, return and finish the unfinished business, which is always part of my life, which was finishing my uh, Wayne State. Uh-huh. I found out okay. by the time I... By the time by that time Wayne State was offering computer science degrees so i went back i had you know uh, negotiated how much of my year and a half they would give me credit of course they wanted me to retake some of the stuff i negotiated some of that yeah come on <laughs> and uh i want you to re- take history
0: and they want you to take oh God, you know,
1: myth- greek ahead. mythology All and right. jesus <laughs> shit like that. now it's so anyway, bowling. I. I bowling. I had bowling. <laughs> yeah. I did
0: too. It's just ridiculous.
1: I I, I, uh, I signed back up. I was now working full time for First Gel Motors and then Prime Computer. And I went back to school and uh, had two kids and a mortgage. We by then we moved and bought a house in Sterling Heights. And I'm now a f- uh, part time student, full time dad, and full time worker, and going to Wayne State. You're hustling hustling and one of my hustling modes was I was doing some especially when I was working for GM I was doing some really complicated crap and then when I was working for you know writing some Fortran code it was really really complicated and then I when I worked for for prime computer I was going through some really complicated operating system stuff and when I was going to school at Wayne State it was primarily my you know at night and all my my Instructors were similar to me. They were also teaching at night. They were working somewhere right. during the day. Right. Adjunct. So I'd go and t- set up, yeah. So so I would set up a meetings with them and I'll say, hey, uh, you know, all my counterparts are 18, 19 years old. I'm 30 years old <laughs> doing this stuff. I'm doing stuff that, you know, that you're assigning as a homework and programming that is far beyond. What you're asking us to do, I can certainly do that, but why don't I just kind of share with you, with my employer's permission, what I'm doing there, and you just give me a credit for not having to write these silly little programs? <laughs> right. I didn't use those words, but basically what I meant. Yeah, these little silly little programs versus what I'm doing, it was a lot more complicated. And nine out of ten guys, I said, sure. They they knew what I was doing. You know, that I was awesome. a lot more you had to pay the tuition so I ended up...
0: but they'd give you the
1: grade the, yes I still attended the classes I just didn't mm-hmm. have to do this busy work of writing these extra programs okay. for assignment mm-hmm. was write this program and that would be part of your you know, 30% your grade or whatever the number was all these programs that you had to write and so I was able to share my work that I did at work with them and they would give me full credit so I ended up graduating and, uh seven years later after I returned so my it took, last it
0: took seven years at night
1: seven years at night wow and last uh, two and a half years oh. took seven years to complete
0: and uh, yeah those are I mean those technical degrees are they're tough There's so I ended up
1: getting a computer science degree from Wayne State with a minor in math That was actually two degrees I think I had two degrees math and computer science I, Do you I, feel like I, I, your
0: your d- the training uh, the undergraduate training like applied in in any ways or was it all on the job for you that was relevant?
1: It's the other way around. <laughs> I was so much advanced by the time I right. went back to school that nothing that I learned in school, absolutely nothing, helped me in my work. It was yeah. the other way around. I, I was so much more advanced knowing this stuff, and then stuff that they were teaching in school is so rudimentary and basic. Right And, and, and the, 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 you know, if I ever attempted to use the stuff that they have, especially in the computer companies like Prime Computer, I mean, that was, like, they were light years ahead of what they teach at, at, at universities. Well, probably those classes sure that, you
0: took in Atlanta and then in Boston and then, I mean, oh yeah, that's incredible. Just getting into Great. the operating system. Control and data, data was probably incredible compared to an undergraduate oh, yeah. computer science.
1: Yeah. Well, because it's all detail stuff. I mean, it's down to detail. rather most of the classes in universities are top end, just very shallow. They go deep in the depth. Well, at work, in in all of these technical classes, you go much deeper. You go miles deep, as opposed to you know inches deep into stuff. So you 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 get through it. I was able to graduate with better than 4.0 out of my computer classes out of the Wayne State finally graduated in uh, 1987 and Casey Kasem was my uh, speaker at our commencement <laughs> okay cool uh, so
0: so why did you go was, back and fun. get the degree then why was that important to you was it from the um, people unfinished at work business. tell you unfinished nope. business It's personal unfinished
1: for unfinished business it had nothing to do with anything no one asked me for anything Ever yeah it was just unfinished business That's it just had inspiring. to be done
0: yeah, good for you
1: just had to be done it's it's you know it was started and it has to be finished There's did you ever no think
0: options. you know or or maybe even from this perspective now, because I mean you got your your training on the job or through you know very specific technical training, you wanted an undergraduate degree, you know why not take up something like I don't know law or philosophy or is there anything else you would prefer to study besides just these computer classes that you already knew everything about? You know what I mean?
1: It's I I understand. Um, my my brain goes back to nineteen seventy when I said I wanted to come become a computer science. I, I just can't help it. Yeah. I just can't help it. It was—I either had to forget that that I wanted to do that and do something else. I, it's unfinished business. What, there's no other words that I can use. It's okay. just unfinished yeah, business. That. Well, let me ask unfinished you a, a different business way. That than... had to be completed. <clears throat> let's
0: say you didn't have that in your head that um, from 1970s. Is there, like, let's say you're at start again now? Would you do something different? Um, uh, j- just from a undergraduate standpoint would you study something different
1: or would you go the same path do you think um i would do something different i would like to learn things that i know nothing about you know biology that's one thing that i really studied on my own and i found that fascinating Mm -hmm. i like to read the stuff i'm by no means proficient in it but i just love it i just love to learn more about it I
0: think that's a very think, interesting field too. I've never taken a class in it.
1: Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. It's nothing like computers. It's it's <clears throat> completely opposite. Computers are logical. Mathematics is all logical. Uh, I was good at both of those. This is nothing logical about biology <laughs> and, and life and things like that. It's absolutely totally different. I would. I'm I'm just always thirsty for information and I'd love to learn more about it and. Um, that would, that's what I would do. That's Maybe cool. medicine.
0: Okay. Maybe. Okay, so um, you finished your undergraduate degree. You're at Ford Motor Company.
1: No, Prime Computer. Prime but, computer. but we're working... It, Ford your was Your client
0: our is Ford. Okay. Yes. Okay.
1: I'm, I'm actually a lot more responsible than that. I'm responsible for all the computer um, operating system for across the all the platforms in prime computer and i'm number one guy for the all operating system issues and compilers on um, software side wow. and i'm doing that for prime computer in the whole central operations so i'm okay. the, the top guy working for central ops out of chicago i'm living in detroit but i'm working for them so what happens after that is that the prime computer decides to move into Unix. And they were looking for some people to, within the company to hire from outside and some within. So I actually decided at that point in time I was going to uh, transition into the Unix world. They offered a, a mini computer based on Unix operating system. So I fast track and learn Unix. And, and Unix,
0: like, uh, help me, you know, set the, the tone or the, the page for this. Would you say it's like the first open-source operating system came from Berkeley or something like that? Is that right?
1: It is. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's origin before that uh, are into something called Maltex. I and mean, Maltex is, actually has the same origin. Primos, which is the operating system from Prime Computer, has okay. the same origins of Multix. So it kind of it, it's a wide. So it kind of all flowed from Prime from Multics to Multics
0: they, into Unix. Is that right?
1: Now, from Multics is was was a Honeywell operating system, and then Prime Computer started its own Primos, but it has its its, its its before Multics it goes into AT and T, which is Unix, and mm. Multics kind of became part of uh, the the branch of that, and then Primos uh, Prime operating system. Branch from that, so this is kind of like returning back to the origin Unix and following that leg in a different path. So I had okay. all of the basics. I understood. So it's not like you're switching to
0: DOS or something or NT. This is
1: no. Yeah, Unix was exciting part. So then I then I decided that you know they were uh, uh, first started just looking at the possibilities of Unix Prime did, and then they decided they're going to start selling it once they made it. So I said, oh, might, might as well move into sales. So I moved into sales at Prime wow. Computer Selling Unix okay. yep. pr- platforms. So I was very successful doing that. That was my very first entry into the sales. And I liked it. It was making a lot of money.
0: Were you, um, like, uh, properly holding a bag or were you the technical representative to the salesperson?
1: No, I was holding the bag, yeah. selling. But then I really missed... Did you All have to make that
0: stuff. jump from um, kind of a big salary to a small salary with an unknown upside, or was your salary yes. still pretty good? You did make that jump. I
1: was still pretty good. They took care of me. I mean, I was yeah. very valuable to Prime Computer. It was. They took care of me. They 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 were very very generous to me. I was doing extremely well. I you know life was yeah. extremely good at Prime Computer. I loved it. I, I sold Unix. I was very successful at it. But then Prime Computer. I was at Prime now at 10 10 years coming back already, 11 years going to the 12th year. But Prime Computer got in trouble. Um, They uh, merged with another company and uh, um, then they started getting in trouble. And it was the writing on the wall they were going to get in trouble. And they pretty much laid off all of their employees. I was hoping okay. to get laid off, but I wasn't. <laughs> right. I so,
0: understand. Uh, it's it's you know it's it's weird both ways. I never got the package it,
1: when they first started. They were giving people a whole year package. Paid off. Yeah. I asked for it. They said no. You're too valuable. Have you ever so gotten I, a package? Never.
0: Never. No, me either. Yeah. So. Freaking packages.
1: <laughs> Some people are just lucky. I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're pretty lucky, but yeah.
1: <laughs> so what happened at that point in time, Prime was going to go out of business. And uh, one of the guys left Prime Computer and started uh, uh, at compuware And that's where I went. Okay. And the reason that I went there is because they were beginning to get into the... Uh, Unix business as well. Computer of course, you know, it's selling a mainframe monitoring and controlling tools
0: and they needed to company, get into yeah. the,
1: Yes, all software. It's 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 monitoring and 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 analyzing um, mainframe dumps, basically what they started the business in. But then they decided to move into Unix world, or the mini computer. And it's primarily Unix and controlling networks and monitoring networks. So I went to CompuWare to help him uh, start that business, and uh, was I had that a choice. primarily
0: um, security oriented or reliability and performance oriented at that time. It's both. It was both. both.
1: Okay. It's about fifty-fifty. Yeah. It's a security and 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 performance. Uh, some people bought it for for security, but there was a Kind of rare. Most people were more interested in performance. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, um, Unix monitoring tools. I had a choice whether they're going to sales, or to become they'll go back into the software. So I decided I wanted to be in a technical side. I was I was like I like I still couldn't decide what to do. So I went into CompuWare, worked in CompuWare And that Compugear was good to me. I really enjoyed it. Um, but then I kind of thought more about bigger bigger things, and while I was at Compuware, I realized that the next big thing is internet is going to become big it nineteen nineteen ninety five nineteen ninety four internet was kind of became um it and yeah. I thought wow, that's gonna be the next stage what What made you and,
0: think that was it Mozilla and Netscape and yes
1: Yes, yes yeah. Mozilla, and at Compura, I had access to all that stuff. Uh, we had, because we were in the Unix world. I mean, we were sending emails, and we were uh, having Mozilla, and we we had the ability to get on the internet, and I was really excited about that. So, I mean, it's really I, kind of
0: classical because you went from the hardware side you know into operating systems and you were building applications you were a dev as well and then it feels like compuware they were utilities but they were applications on top of the unix operating system as well sure
1: right? yes there was and an now, application it, on top of the unix yeah, yeah yeah
0: and it just seems like that's that's probably where the rest of your career where i know it a little bit better now is all about the well apps. the
1: unix uh, the, the 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 unix certainly is an important piece of it and then i then i thought if this if this internet things becomes real which i thought it was um, one of the most important things that's going to happen is data and that's when i thought you know who has the data mainframes and then in mini world it was oracle mm-hmm. so then i got friendly with some oracle people <laughs> <laughs> you know any of that?
0: i know a few of these folks we worked together at oracle for 10 years or so super fun
1: so then i got friendly with some oracle people and uh we were uh i was beginning to think that that's got to be the direction that the 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 future is going to be it's it's the next big thing became oracle the database large databases so i decided that um i'm kind of done with with uh CompuWear thing, and I decided to jump ship and join Oracle, and met some of you guys. and um, Best decision I ever made in my life, by far.
0: What a career you had at Oracle and and, and uh, beyond! Do you have some like accomplishments at Oracle that you're most proud of, or any you know specific moments that you keep revisiting in your in your memories?
1: Well, I tell you, it's my transition from being a um, software engineer or, or system engineer to sales was probably the most important thing that i ever done in my life again you know yeah. this i had yeah. sales before but having an opportunity given to me by you know somebody like John thickany was was uh, very 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 valuable and i can never repay him back for what he's done for me you know, yeah. All I asked he's for. He's done was that for so many people, yeah. And he's done that for so many people. I can speak so to my people. my personal you nobility. Know, he trusted me. That's all I asked him to do. Just trust me. And, you know, he had uh, asked me to prove it. I did my best to prove to him that I can do what I say I'm going to do. And that was the beginning of our relationship, which was um, beyond spectacular. So he gave me an opportunity to work at General Motors as an account manager selling to General Motors. And I came up with an idea that um, um, instead of trying to sell them per per opportunity to convert them to an enterprise deal, and uh, with John's support, we made it happen. It was great. It was a year worth of, actually 11 months worth of, from the first meeting the signing of the piece of paper it was 11 months it was the most
0: uh, and you had to do a ton uh, of work it, before then to build the demand and all the projects and right. see the tra- trajectory
1: was, yeah. review the history the path it was review all the history to do all the details um, and then go to the next stage which is just like you said is the demand and future and project and and those projects
0: have to be successful, and General Motors is not an easy client. And not every project goes successfully. That's, yeah. You the
1: moment it. is the signing at 3 a.m. in the morning in our office, a signature on a contract for $75 million.
0: <laughs> That's a moment. What day was that? Was that June 29th? Or was it a May fiscal no, year? No, May 31st. May, was it May 31st? Of, yeah. yeah,
1: May 31st. So
0: 3 a.m. was Pacific time right it before It was
1: 2.50 a.m. because Pacific time, the business would close close at 3 a.m. He made it within 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 10 minutes he was signed. 10 wow. minutes. $75 million. But there's a, the interesting thing about that, it was $90 million dollars until about 11, 11 p.m. to on the the thirty first, eleven p.m.
0: So good on GM for getting that fifteen, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they did their job.
1: I, they I knew can, the deadline. I can tell you, that moment is so closely into my brain. This is how it happened. I, I just give you that little story. Um, we were in a in a meet. We were in a room and. Dennis Page, which I'm sure you know who Dennis Page is. He's the Mm -hmm. purchasing guy. He was in GM. And in our office, we had uh, Tony Scott and Bill Kager. And Tony Scott, no, Bill Kager says, he's a finance guy. He says, "Uh, we're going to get Dennis Page on the conference call. So in the room, it was myself and Fick and a few other guys. And they said, Dennis says, I have a PO here signed by a CIO for $75 million, and silence. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what do you mean $75 million? <laughs> We've discussed this so many times. We went for, for about three weeks. We were stuck with the same number what do you mean something wrong with that no he said that's all he would sign like, I wow can't. this is it this is where we are said, yeah like okay
0: so the and next three hours out of that room. were the internal sale
1: no so then we walked out of that room and we wanted a, a fixed office in a corner and we called the 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 war room safra was on the line so we talked to safra first told her what was happening she says, well, we need to get Larry for that. That's 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 a lot of money. And uh, so we got Larry on the phone. And fixed said to me, you tell him. <laughs> when he comes in, <laughs> you tell him. Like, I, just, I just simply said, okay, this is where we are. And I just said the same thing I just told you. We right. were at this number all along. And they walked in a room a few minutes ago. And they said they have a PO for 75, which is... He listened, and it was a pause for about three seconds, and he said, take it. Good. Okay, Good what's next? Wow. And he walked away, what's next? That's awesome. <laughs> like, what the? And then we were like, Vic and I looking at each other. you imagine how much commission there is at $50 million? <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Yeah, but, but imagine a, how much there was on seventy-five.
1: Yeah, but he also had a lot more business to, do, to deal between that at three a.m. That was like eleven thirty at night. Guys like that, so I think, at that point, they say yes a lot. <laughs> three seconds it took. Yeah, he yeah. he had no other information other than what I just told him. Well, they what's the margin three on seconds.
0: that? You know, oh, what's the margin? It's outrageous. The,
1: the the list price was something like one point five billion dollars. Wow! Wow! So it's ninety percent discount. Nine ninety eight percent discount.
0: Well, uh, Dennis <laughs> Page did his job.
1: So here's the fun, the, the 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 finishing end to that. Um, after I retired, I had lunch with Dennis Page, and I said, Dennis, I have only one question for you. <laughs> he says, remember that day? He says, yes, I do. Yeah. I says, tell me the truth. It doesn't matter because I'm retired, you retired. It doesn't matter anymore. Right, right. But my suspicion all along is this. I just want you to tell me yes or no. I said, my suspicion, and that's exactly what I told Larry as well and Vic. I says, I suspect that um, Ralph Shigenda signed two POs. He wasn't there. He signed two POs or multiple POs. Yeah, At least two PMs. That's what I said. He had one for 75, probably one for 80, or 82, and one for whatever we agreed with. And you used one, you know, you, you that was your negotiation. It was points. a bluff. And he laughed. He kind of sat there, and he smiled. <laughs> he says... I never admitted in anywhere other than this. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want
0: to take that chance in business, though. When it's that big of a deal, you don't want to take that chance. You want to come to an agreement. But that's amazing. That's a hell of a story. My God.
1: So that was my highlight.
0: Yeah, that's a fun one to think about, isn't it? I you can been never through meet, that crucible.
1: Can never yeah. match that. In my life. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never could match that. That was, that was it. That was the yeah. beginning of. That's a Ph. To me, that was a Ph.D. in selling. Yeah. That moment, that deal. Do,
0: do you feel like either at that point or now you kind of have like a personal philosophy about how you go about doing business or deals? Do you have Do you have something that guides you through?
1: Uh, it's more gut instinct. Yeah. I just have the gut instinct. Everything. The I mean, whole thing. You, you definitely it, have from a personal the,
0: philosophy to to look forward to what's coming. That's apparent.
1: Yes. Through this discussion. Yes. Though. Yeah. It's a vision of what's coming. That, right. That's what guides me all the time. That's what has guided me all my career. Uh, yeah. Gut feeling of what I believe it's going to happen. Doesn't mean I'm always right, but I just believe it. It's yeah. just been like that. It's It's been my guiding force. Is to believe what's coming. It's worked for me
0: hmm.
1: most of the time. I, I was right.
0: Well, um, how about uh, you know a couple questions here around folks that are different stages. You know, so obviously there's there's quite a few folks. Well, I hope that will listen to this that are maybe pre-retirement, maybe maybe in the, their last leg. Of their career Um, maybe some critical years for them and do you have any advice for folks that are let's say five years out in terms of how they um, yeah how they how they manage their career
1: I I guess I would reflect back to something we've been said number of times since you and I start talking here it's uh, at least from my perspective um, Everybody's different, so this may not be useful to everyone. But if you're the similar person like me, it's that unfinished business. Hmm. If you have any unfinished business, last if you got four or five years to get it done, get it done. Yeah. Um, unfinished business to me was always important thing to do, to get it done, get it done. Unfinished business, unfinished business in work was exactly the same thing. So you know, similar. Path for me as I decided to retire from Salesforce. Last two years was closing my unfinished business and finishing everything that I thought that I should. And, and
0: what was that become. at Salesforce that was unfinished business? Was it, were there deals that you wanted that you had been incubating that you wanted to get done or?
1: Yes, that's number of uh, things that I started that I um, felt that should be done uh, because of benefits to the customer benefits to salesforce and benefits to me they yeah. need to be completed something that i started walking away from something that's not done would linger in my brain forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever and it, mm-hmm. especially if it wasn't done right and if, if it goes to someone else and it gets screwed up it's just something i didn't want to do you know the promises are made by me the promises have to be kept by me so that's what I mean by unfinished business and something that I had to be finished. So if you're ready to retire, think about the. I like unfinished that a business. lot.
0: I mean, yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we we skipped over a big chunk of your career at Symantec. Um
1: Yeah. So just just yeah, talk a little bit about the next next two companies, which were after Oracle. Oracle was great to me. I found Oracle to be, again, a a PhD in selling. I found that a tremendous path for. Um, I enjoyed every single day, even the painful days. I loved things. it there too. I really loved it. I really did. I people really especially. did. But then all good things come to an end. Mm-hmm. People left. People moved away. People, things changed. They were not as good as they used to be. I did everything that I wanted to accomplish there, especially the deal. There was not much more I could do after that things start falling apart, it was time to go. And um, my thought process at that point was, what's the next thing? Well, my guess on database becoming extremely important in a, in a, in a world of internet was true. And I was thinking like, what's next? Well, I kind of thought that what's next is that all this data was just sitting there and it wasn't secure. Right. And I was right. <laughs> yeah, you were right again. I was beyond right. <laughs> I I knew that because I knew that from one customer, hundred percent. It wasn't I wasn't guessing. I was not guessing at this. I knew that what was happening at General Motors because they were my GM customer. They had basically the problem was they had no time to spend wasting their time on security. They were just doing all the other shit, so they had no time to waste. Building on security and
0: running and all of that, yeah.
1: Growing and yeah. So I knew that their security was not good. So I kind of thought, okay, so where, where would I go? And then I looked at who is the best company in security sp- space that I would want to work for. And I just kind of thought of Semantic. I knew nobody there. I just thought that Semantic might be it.
0: How did you find your uh, way in? I mean, LinkedIn wasn't really big then. How would no, you work your way in?
1: Here, I'll tell you exactly, this is another one of those fate things. So I was thinking about semantic, and I was coming back on a trip. And it was like 3 o'clock, about 2 o'clock in the morning. The plane was delayed out of somewhere, wherever we were coming. I think I was coming out of Denver. I, I'm like 100% sure. For I was there for Oracle for some reason or another. And I landed in Detroit, and the airport was completely empty. And I'm walking to the airport. And uh, there was a guy in front of me who was walking, and I look at him, and the guy I happen to know from CompuWare. Hmm. And him and I were just walking out of the the airport, and now he was working um, uh, for a different company. And I said, well, what company are you working for? Oh, I'm working for Symantec. Like, whoa.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking about.
1: It yeah. was meant to be. It was two, two o'clock in the morning. Just me and him, in Detroit Airport. Both tired as hell. He was coming from a different flight. It was a. It was kind of like a summertime, and it was it was one of those weather delayed cities. And we were, thunderstorms in the evening. Pretty much ended up coming yeah. out of the different places and ended up in the same time, and that was the beginning of that. Wow. So, so his name is Chip Davis, and Chip helped me um, navigate, get to the right people. Met some people, and one of the guys that I met was uh, somebody you met before, Brett, Brett Shirk. Sure, sure. And before I met Brett, uh, you know, I interviewed with Brett, and our interview was, we go run 10 miles. <laughs> that was our interview. That
0: guy could haul, too.
1: Yeah, we ran for 10 miles. And it probably wasn't 10, it was probably a six-mile run. I know exactly where we ran. he he figured out pretty
0: quickly you know the gm account inside and out yeah
1: yes and i was hired to be a global account manager for gm account i kind of told them on that similar story that i just told here is that i believe the gm has no clue about their security i'm pretty sure that like 99.9 percent they were not doing it well they had people in charge that didn't have a clue Hmm. about security and um, I asked him how much business uh, Symantec was doing with GM at that time. He says, well, I think we sold them something like 50K in the past. Jeez. That's it. Ever. Like, okay. That's a like, great okay. <laughs> spot. So that was it. I moved into Symantec, global account manager. Um, within When I left, we were doing about $14 million a year annually. With them, good for you. And we sign up a global what an account. accomplishment. Global account um, for managing their their um, some of their equipment. But what happened there was uh, our last ditch effort. I kind of became aware again about next thing. What's the next thing?
2: Mm-hmm. And.
1: We were, Bretton and I came up with an idea that um, we want to sell them security as a service. And we talked to our, our CEO, John Thompson. He bought into the idea. And then we talked to CISO, a GM, and he bought into the idea. And we came we created a plan for the together with GM what the uh, security as a service would be. It was huge. It was mm. huge, bigger than bigger than a GM deal at, wow. at Oracle.
0: and a brand new and, offering for the company.
1: Right. So yeah. we presented it to executive board at Symantec. They were very interested, and then um, they asked us to present to the board of directors. So I presented to the board of directors the semantic, and it told them what the deal was. They were uh, okay with the spirit of the deal, hmm. but what they did not want is that um, you know, as a software as a service or security as a service, the onus of building the infrastructure belongs to you, the owner of the service. They wanted GM to pay for the mm. um, building the infrastructure for doing they didn't
0: that. want to do the capital investment?
1: And they did not. Yeah. So they made me restructure the deal. I restructured the deal and tried to do as good a job as I possibly could to hide that. So did all that, went back to GM and blah, 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 blah. And Eric Litt, who was the, the CISO at GM, he looked at that and he said, are you fucking crazy? Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you Where's your skin in the game? Yeah. You want us to pay for the infrastructure? I, I never said that. I never pointed it out to them. I never did any of that. He I tried to hide right it. Yes, right away. Oh, God. So there. Okay, yeah. Well, I think like, oh, you got me there.
0: <laughs> Caught. You yeah, don't get into so, that, that, that job at GM for uh, being a dummy. That's for sure.
1: So that fell apart. Um, and GM was already in trouble at that time. Okay. So they were going downhill. and They had no ability to do that. Right. So uh, what happened to me, the important part of all this story is what happened to me. I recognized the software as a service is it. This is the next big thing. Yeah. is the software as a service. Um, so I said, okay. So I had a meeting with my management uh there was a year end. they gave me a quota for the next year you know the the deal just fell apart of the soft the security as a service and they gave me a huge quota increase like uh, this is not going to work out
0: not not to poke you on this but I, i feel like i need to ask it does it it feels like this is maybe some unfinished business do does it bother you still a little bit that the semantic deal didn't come together or do you feel like the No because um, GM
1: went bankrupt. It wasn't it was never gonna happen because GM happen, yeah. you know declared bankruptcy. I mean the if other thing is the
0: semantic board of directors then step up.
1: So. Yes. Well if that maybe if that happened, GM wouldn't gone bankrupt. I don't know. I mean that's a big expense. I, yeah. I don't know what the future but GM went bankrupt. So that that's right. the bottom line. I and basically I recognized that was coming everybody with a little bit of ability to see knew that that was coming so they gave me a quota for the next fiscal year i just said you know this is not going to happen this this i'm not going to be able to achieve that it's best if we just part company you know um that's it we're just going to go our separate ways i was ready to retire that's basically i was at that stage i I remember that's when we first started talking about it yeah I was financially set. I was great. I did not want to work anymore. And I said, I, I'm done. I was, I'm done. How I'm old were you then? Uh, I was um, 55. Okay. 55. I was yeah. done. Yeah, okay. So I quit. I was done. I, st- I In fact, my parting words was, there's a better chance that GM will go bankrupt officially than for me to achieve this quota that you're giving me. So... I'm not gonna do this. Mm-hmm. So, I must say I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and left. That was in April. And then my friend uh, Mike Manelli calls me in July, and he says, "You want a job?" I'm like, No. <laughs> what job? <laughs> like, what are you doing now, Mike? So you had I about three months
0: of retirement.
1: I had three months of retirement. So what are you doing, Mike? So you want a job? Like, no. It's like, uh, what are you doing? Like, I'm working for this company called Salesforce.com. Like, oh, I knew about (laughs) Salesforce.com. I use that as my kind of guidance of how I'm going to get this done. So it's like, uh, yeah, but you probably want me to call in GM or automotive. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, no, 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 I want you call them banks and insurance companies. Like, but I don't know nothing about banks and insurance companies. You know that. <laughs> oh, They're not awesome exactly we'll early
0: adopters that. of uh, cloud technology either, but
1: <laughs> Yeah, so don't worry about it, we'll figure that out. Like, no, I don't know, I don't want to do that. So he talked me into it. And I went to Salesforce and he says, Here's your here's your list of opportunities, like thirty-eight opportunities there in a, in a Salesforce they're going to close and you're going to make all this money. Well, it took me about eight months to go through every one of those opportunities. And every one of them ended up being zero, 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 zero. None of them closed. Not one of those opportunities that they gave me as I came in closed. Not one. Oh boy. Like, what did you just get me into? <laughs> all right. And that was 2008. And by the end of that year, uh, the financial crisis happened. you m- remember where it was in what, what, what sector? Banking and insurance companies <laughs> right So I'm starting out with no business, all of this stuff going down to zero. banking insurance sector going done done, finished and I'm selling in bank insurance companies, something I know nothing about. It took me about a year to figure all that out and then I said, okay, I'll make it work and the rest is history.
0: But it was a I cool had, company, I'm sure, that helped you get through some of that downtime. Oh, it was a you know, it was great tech. Cool. It's a fascinating technology.
1: Unbelievable. I, I equate yeah. Salesforce to be Oracle and steroids. Yeah. It was faster, bigger. Their ability
0: to deliver is so high. And,
1: yeah. Unbelievable. I enjoyed every single moment. Yeah. Every single moment of, yeah. of Salesforce. Every. It was beyond great. It was absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. That's great, right? Well,
0: why don't why don't we um why don't we leave the career at that point? I'm sure some other anecdotes on Salesforce will come out. I've got a I've got a couple of questions for you that I was I've been thinking about as you've been talking, and <clears throat> you know you mentioned many times that you're you keep looking for the next thing and what's evolving, and I, I guess I'd just be curious for your point of view for maybe some people that are in their 20s, in terms of what do you what do you you know what do you what do you see next, either for te- technology or for careers, and what advice for them would you have, looking back at your career, um, with that lens of evolution?
1: Well, it depends what part of the, um, the sector that you are um, involved with. If you are in a high tech, I say the artificial intelligence is probably the next big thing that's going to happen Mm -hmm. it is so unknown so confusing so difficult to see what's coming now we had a lot of the false starts in in many different paths and you look at um, the tech industry things like big data and and data mining and all that looked like it was a big next big thing but it really never came out maybe artificial intelligence will become Mm -hmm. part of that but maybe not Right. I think that that's definitely one of the great candidates of being the next big thing, and how you're going to get involved into into that business. But that's a very difficult part of the technology to get into, because it is really complicated stuff. Really okay. complicated. It's bridging the path between technology and human mind. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, certainly not there. We may have all the wrong words for it. Artificial intelligence may be the right. Maybe the wrong description what it is, but it's something. I don't know what it is, but it's something that. I,
0: I love that, that to topic help. too. I'm listening to this podcast, uh, Lex Friedman podcast. I'm forgetting the guy's name. He runs Deep Mind for Google. I don't know if you've listened to that yeah. one. It's just I so don't, cool don't. to he, You know he's he's, so he's the one that uh, his organization, anyways, uh, beat the world's champions at the game Go and then they yeah. recently also proven protein folding how to uh, predict protein folds which is a very complex thing like they said it would, each protein fold took a phd to figure out back in the day <laughs> now you can basically uh, predict it with uh, machine that learning program, yeah. yeah yeah which is something um, fascinating but it's it's fun to listen to Lex who's also an ai researcher talk with this right. this, this gentleman um, about where things are going and, and the breakthroughs and the approach, I love that area as well.
1: It it's still unknown whether that's going to be truly a breakthrough or not, but it definitely has big possibilities. Uh, all of the technology around the self-driving vehicles, which is maybe an offshoot of that, uh, the Neuralink kind of uh, mm-hmm. technology, is another possibilities. But these are all, you know, again combining the biology with technology is beyond crazy stuff and um it's it's something that certainly is look worth looking into when it comes to technology but you know that aside if you're not into technology there's other fields that are quite exciting as well uh, economy is one of them you know the, the 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 stuff that we're going through now in economy is exer- is certainly very Challenging things to figure out. We we seem to be confused as a um, a species of what's really happening.
0: I like I the economy it, too. Yeah, I, I like it as well. You know, we I know we share. We talk back and forth a bit about you know Bitcoin or you know the approach of the Federal Reserve and uh, government spending and all those types of things. It is it is a fascinating area.
1: I've done quite a bit of looking into the, the whole Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies and what it is or what it isn't and what it could be and where it's heading to. Um, the, the whole fiat currency, all, all of that stuff is quite fascinating, the human existence. Of course, the space travel, it certainly was one of my loves during my life as well. I, I like space, investigating all that stuff. So those are the things, there's a lot of opportunities for young people to look into where to go and, and what to do. But one of the things that I really like uh, to kind of offer if anybody's listening is um, try a lot of different things. Try different things. If you don't try it, how would you know? Right. I think that's a very, very, very important to try and give it a effort. And if it's not working out, then move on to something else. the opportunity to try those things is when you're young not when you're old and it's because it makes much more difficult to do that when you're older than when you're younger when you're very young i'm
0: I'm just going to counter you a little bit because boy did you make some pretty i mean you could say they're evolutionary but pretty big changes later in life so did your family though your your dad right
1: i mean big changes i remember the the word that i uh, said it's more difficult difficult it's it's a lot easier when you're young for sure you don't have those worries when you're young it's a lot more difficult to make those changes when you're old you're right i did all of those things but if i did all those things when i was younger i mean you know one of the regrets i have in life is that i didn't do what you did i didn't go to the army i really wish i would <laughs> i wish i went to the military i really I've, i for some reason or another that thing keeps sticking in my brain that I should I should have went to try the military.
0: It helped me you know, so I much. Have tried. I needed I needed it. I'm not sure you needed it. Everybody's a little different. Like you know some some young people need a certain types of schooling or approach. Um, I don't know. I mean I know you pretty well. I I know what the military was for me anyways, and yeah, I'm sure you would have gotten some out of it. Like I I'm reading this pretty amazing book right now about. Um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and, you know, all the Israelis, the men and young men and women need to serve, right? And I think it does help form their character and um, uh, build their, uh, in many cases, uh, commitment to the country and um, their culture. But anyways, I hear you on that. It certainly that me that aside,
1: I, I, I would have liked to see the challenge myself to do some amazing things in the military. I, I would have liked to try to become, you know, something special.
0: Like SEAL Team 6.
1: Green parades or special like... team. Yeah. Something like that. I, I would have yeah. liked to challenge myself. You know, as, as many marathons in I run... Pain is something I love. It's like one of those stupid things. I love pain. I don't Mm -hmm. know what it is. I just love pain. But I never, Mm -hmm. you know, I could have have made a life out of it. That's my point. I could have hopefully made a life out of it.
0: That's interesting. Living
1: through pain. Pain is something I love. I don't know why.
0: I don't think you're alone. A
1: self-inflicted pain. Self-inflicted pain.
0: Right. And in the military, sometimes it's not self-inflicted.
1: True. But I would find a way to inflict that on my upon myself. Right. Like or you no know,
0: to have a different Quitting is not an option. I remember when we were doing like really big physical things in the day, I'd say to myself, this is the one part of the day that's for me. Um and the rest of it, you know, the hurry up and the wait and the just the obnoxious routines you had to go through drove me nuts. But the physical side I, I did love. <laughs> But um, why, don't, why don't we wrap it up here, George? This is a great, great first step, perfectly okay. logical transition point. Um, I'm not used to sitting in my chair for two hours, I'll tell you that. I don't do that anymore.
1: All right, man. But Thanks, I loved it.
0: I loved it. And uh, thank you.